we have been in Psalm 119 now for, for quite a while. We have about four weeks left of Psalm 119. So if you have a Bible, slip your hands up. We'll jump into it. If you don't have a Bible, just, just slip your hands up. If you have a Bible, don't slip your hands up. If you need a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will give you one. You're welcome to look on in your electronic device as well. Again, we have about four weeks left in this. And a big part of this section, a big part of the, the scripture here, a big part of what we've been doing is we've been asking and pleading with you, uh, no matter who's been speaking up here, specifically that you would fall in love with the Lord, that you'd fall in love with the word of God, that the word of God would, would hit you in a way that you don't just listen to it anymore or see it as something that you have to do, but you truly find yourself enamored, excited with the word of God. But specifically this week, as we look at the scripture, we see ourselves recognizing that to love the word of God, it, it actually means that we would obey it. And obedience is one of those tough things for us because it's a word that most of us don't like. We're not excited about the word obedience necessarily. But we see, we see that Jesus, in John 14, verse 15, he says that if you love me, you will obey my commands. So you see this, this tying where, where love and obedience are, are together. And yet most of us, if we talk about it, when we think about obedience, we think about it specifically as a negative thing, as a hard thing. Or some of us right now, we are white-knuckling something in hopes that we will be obedient to God's word or call on our life. Uh, we see also in Hebrews 5, verse Eight through nine, it says, although he was son, speaking of Jesus Christ, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so we see this, this beautiful picture of Jesus learning obedience through, through suffering on the cross and it, it happening in that moment, experiencing it. And then we all now have to obey him. It, makes, it would make sense in most of us, if we, we bear the name Christian, or we say Christian, that actually means little Christ. It would make sense that our our day in, day out operations should, should look like Jesus and the way he did it. Yet if we look at specifically every decision we make, maybe the decisions you made last night or this last week, you can see the, the, the differing between what God's word says and what you continually do. And what I love about this psalm, this section of the psalm, is, is that we see um, a couple different things. We're going to hit these two, verse, two sections of scripture here. But one of the things we see is we see kind of a recipe for obedience. In this first stanza, this strophe, these first eight verses that we're going to look at, and then the second eight verses after that. But we see truly a, a kind of a, a, this is what obedience looks like. So let's, let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll dive in. Chapter 119, verse 57 is where we're going to start. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am, a I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. And then over to verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You're my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your, your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments." So in this section, we see a, a number of different things happening. Specifically, the first thing we see is, 
is a motivation for obedience. See, a lot of us would probably say, okay, if I asked, why, why do you want to obey God's word? For those of us that have submitted our lives to Jesus as Lord, we understand that his word calls us to obedience, so why do we do it? And there would be a varying of reasons. Some of us would say, well, I, I don't, I don't want to like disobey him because I'm afraid of what he may do to me or, or the, the consequences. Some of us view obedience as, I've found that the more I do obedience, the more blessing I seem to have in my life or or we just feel like this is just what we're supposed to do if we really loved God, and so we white-knuckle it and really start working for it. And we actually see in this scripture a, a very, very specific and, and, and healthy understanding of what a motive for obedience would be. It's in verse 57. He says, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Now, the word portion to us is like, okay, well, I mean, like a portion of pie, or like, what is, how do we use it? But in the Old Testament times, portion would have been an understand word that was tied to the people of Israel getting getting inheritance of, of land. Different tribes getting this, this allotment, this, uh, this amount of their portion. This was their space. This was for them. And so when he says the word portion here, he's saying that God is his inheritance. God is, God is my inheritance. So when he says portion, he's thinking God is, is, is mine. He's my inheritance. I've been given him. He is for me. And basically what he's saying is that God is the most important thing in his life. So when the psalmist says, the Lord is my portion, I will keep his commandments. I, I promise to keep your words. He's saying that he's going to obey God because God is his highest priority. He's his greatest treasure. This is his motivation for obeying God. And really, like we've talked about over and over and over again, how many of us really truly believe that God is our greatest treasure? He is the, the most amazing thing that we have going for ourselves. Not our spouse, not our children, not, not our jobs, not our careers, not the potential relationship. The most important, most invaluable, most, most beautiful thing we have is God. If God is our most important thing, then it's out of that motivation. It's out of that motivation. That desire would be pulling us and pushing us and encouraging us into obedience. If God is not your most important thing and you're trying to obey him, you're going to lose motivation. You will lose motivation for his word. You will lose motivation for following him because God is not what's most important to you. So this begs the question, is God most important to you? When you think about your life and you think about what you experience and what, what's coming in the years ahead or coming in the months ahead, what you're going through in this time, have you allowed your children to slip in to being your God? Have you allowed your spouse to slip in and be your God? Have you allowed your circumstances, your situations, your opportunities to slip in and become your God? Because right here we see the psalmist, if, if we want to obey God, if we're going to do this, if, since Jesus kind of commands it, says if you love me, you will obey me. If, if we want to obey God by his strength to do so, we have to do, out, do so out of the right motivation. The motivation needs to be present, which is God is the most important thing for me. And I, I, I wonder, I mean, a lot of us here maybe don't believe that. A lot of us struggle to, to obey God or we see God more as, a, as a, obeying him as a credit system. If I could just do enough things, I'll be right before God. If I could just stop doing enough things, I'll be right before God. Genuine Christians obey because we're all made right with him because he's our greatest good and we want to do all that we can to be, obey him because he is God.
not because of what he has to offer us. Not even really if you think about it because of what he's done for us. Our motivation is to obey God because he is our greatest treasure. And this is going to confront all of us in a lot of areas of our life. If he's our greatest treasure, we'll see our life align to that treasure. If he's, he's the most important thing to us, we'll see our decisions and our thinking and our processing move and align towards that. If he's not, then we'll see ourselves operating very much outside of that. And so in verse 57, we see that the, the motivation is the inheritance we have, that God is ours, that he is, he is, he is ours. He's our portion. He's our greatest treasure. In verse 59, we see that there's an evaluation to obedience. We see him say, he says, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. When I think on my ways or, or consider my ways. We see that twice in the book of Haggai in chapter one. God commanding the people to consider their ways. This is a, an understanding of who we are. How many of you honestly have ever asked this question, how am I doing in obedience to God? If I can just push on you a little bit because I feel like the Lord's pushed on me. I think most of us are afraid to ask that question. Not because we're afraid of how he answered, but because we already know how he's going to answer. Because he's already shown us how we've been disobedient. He's already shown us in ways that we have lacked obedience. Consider my ways. Look, think on my ways. And then I turn my feet. You know what this is essentially telling us in one beautiful verse? is that I acknowledge my ways. I see my ways. And then instead of going, wow, I really stink or I'm failing, I instead align them to the scriptures and I turn my feet to go the way in which he's calling me to do so. It's a repentant heart. How do you, how do you think that the psalmist actually considers his ways? He doesn't just think about it and look, okay, well, let me just take a, a census of the people around me. Well, I'm doing better than that person. A little worse than that person, but, you know, who wouldn't be, right? And, like, you know, you kind of, no, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't start comparing the people around him. He's, he's, he's thinking on his ways and applying them through the scriptures. This is why at the end of this stanza, this strophe, these eight verses, at the end he says, teach me your statutes. The standard isn't your neighbor, your spouse, or some other person. The standard is, is the word of God. So when you're looking at your life, when you say, look on my ways, help me think on my ways. Let me, let me truly posture myself. God, search my heart as we hear in the Psalms. And if there's anything in me that isn't of yours, then turn my feet to the way I should go. He says it. He says, I consider my ways. So we see not only a motivation, but we see that we are to evaluate, truly look at ourselves. So this begs the question is, when's the last time we ask that? God, what are areas in which I am being disobedient? Where are areas that I may be struggling to submit myself to you? And then actually allowing him to speak to us. And then hearing that, and instead of just hearing that going, oh man, that stinks, I really, really messed up. Instead of saying, okay, Lord, turn my feet. I wanna, I wanna turn my feet to your testimonies. I wanna walk to your truth. I wanna walk with your truth. I want my life to look like you and nothing else. So we see that there's an evaluation that's done through the word of God, which again, and I've said this over and over and over again, guys, but you can't really understand how you might be in disobedience or obedience if you don't know God's word. If your only experience of God's word is the little bit that's shared here or in your gospel community or on a quick little listen to some radio station, you're 
those are good, but you're, 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 you're anemic. You're not going to be able to see this, the ways in which he's lined up your life and said, look, I'm trying to teach you something here. I'm trying to speak to you through my word. If you're not in God's word, guys, you are, you are not going to hear that voice. It's going to be very, let me say it, sorry, you're, it's going to be very hard to hear that voice because you're going to evaluate yourself not aligned with God's word. You're going to evaluate yourself with, well, it seems like the, the core seems to be doing it this way, so I'll just kind of go with that flow. Or a couple standout people, I really like that person, so I'm just going to try and be like that person. The second thing, or the next thing, the third thing we see is we see um, the moment of obedience. Um, verse 60 says, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. When God gives us a command to obey, we need to obey it immediately. You've heard it said that delayed obedience is just disobedience. It's interesting. If you, th- if you think about your life in general, where God is calling you, he's commanding you to do something, you, you delay that obedience at times because of fear of man, fear of consequences. Maybe you're not in God's words, so you're not actually hearing his voice as well. But we delay. In fact, we see two, just two examples of this. The angel warns Joseph and Matthew to, to, leave, to leave. Get out. Joseph immediately gets up with super pregnant Mary or super baby and goes. Baby, early baby and goes. Why? Well, because if he hadn't, all the babies were being killed. Immediate obedience. We see in Acts 8, another one for us. Philip was told by an angel in Acts 8 to leave the revival that was going on in Samaria and go to the desert. I would have loved to sit around Philip for that, that discussion. All right, everything's going awesome. And so, I mean, it's like people are coming to the Lord, like baptisms, it's awesome. And the Lord's like, hey, Philip, go to the desert. Wait, come on, God, really? Like, but look at all the work I'm doing here. Look at me, you're coming to know you through me. Look at, what, look at how I'm being used by you here. It doesn't make sense to go to the desert. At least that's what I would have probably had, or maybe some of us would have had that thought process. Maybe Philip did. But no, we, we know in Acts 8, he leaves immediately. Well, what happens? It just happens to be perfectly timed across the road with this Ethiopian shares the word of God with him. The Ethiopian comes to faith. We find out from church history that a massive Ethiopian church for Christ forms. We have no idea sometimes why God is calling us to do something. And it may make no sense, but our response is immediate obedience. Our delayed obedience is truly, let me just, please let me just say this as nicely as I can. I I, I don't want to be too harsh. Our delayed obedience is pride most of the time. It's most of the time we believe what we think and what we can do and what we control is better than what God is calling us to. Not every time, but most of the time that's usually what it comes out as. It comes out as us believing that, okay, that's cool that God wants this for me, but, but it just doesn't really make sense occupation-wise right now. So I'm going to go ahead and see it through this way, and then I'll follow. Or it just really doesn't make sense relationally. And maybe, there's, maybe you're misunderstanding, but most of the time I think God's calling us to do stuff we ignore. Because we can't quantify or it make sense, or make it make sense in our brains. I mean, there are plenty of times in the scripture where God calls people to do something that makes no sense at all. And we look at those stories and like, man, those people, men and women of faith, it's so awesome. God is calling those same things to you and me. He's calling us to obey him immediately. A lot of us are going to wrestle with this. A lot of us are going to think that God is actually pushing on. I was, I was talking to some friends um, just this last week, and they were talking about how uh, someone had spoken something over them, and then years later, God is like knocking on that door, and you can just see the wrestling in them. It's beautiful, beautiful, where they're, where they're hearing God's word, they're seeing God's presence, and they're trying to be obedient, but they're toiling because it's like, how do we quantify this with our life? 
I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing to ask those questions, to look for it. But the instant that God says to them, and I know that this is their heart, the instant God says, you go, they'll go. And that'll be the call on all of us. If God says, go, then go. If he says, stay, then stay. If you're not hearing him say any of those things, then listen, but immediately obey God. Stop wasting time because you want to control the circumstances because we believe somehow that we know better than our God who is our inheritance, our treasure, the motivation for even us wanting to obey. So we see that, in this, that the moment of obedience, verse 60, was that we don't delay. Honestly, I think a lot of us delay um, specifically not because we're like, oh, I don't know if the Lord spoke or, or spoken. I don't know if the Lord is, is sharing with me, but I think a lot of times because we've allowed other people's voices and thoughts drown out the word of God in our own heart. We fear what men or women think of us or what may make sense to other people more than we fear the Lord. Verse 61, the psalmist tells us uh, that uh, there's going to be trials in obedience. He says that through the cords of the wicked, and though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. He says, look, it's going to be hard. Wicked are going to entrap me. I'm going to find life difficult, but I'm still not going to run from obeying your word. Oh, if this was true of the church today, guys. We are so quick when it gets hard. We are so quick to close, set it down, and run. This is, the psalmist is telling us, like, look, our, our motivation is because God is our treasure. We're going to have to evaluate in areas that we, we, we're going to have to line ourselves up with Scripture. We're going to see that. We're going to see that sometimes the moment is right now, or maybe it's not right now. Maybe it's later. But the reality is, in all of this, it's going to be difficult. There will be trials in this. But our commitment to the Lord is still to obey His commands. Our commitment to the Lord is still to submit our ways to His, because they are greater than ours. Verse 63 hits one that I think we really really struggle with. Verse 63 says, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. Verse 115 in the second, um, the second stanza says, depart from me, evildoers, so that I may obey God's word. So we see in here a pretty clear call for us to be tied together as a church. A pretty clear call to be rubbing shoulders with people that maybe we don't agree with, but necessarily, um, or don't like hanging out, but the, because of the spirit of God, we're one and working together. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, bad company ruins good morals. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 talks about a little leaven ruining the whole lump. And so we see a pretty clear thing in Scripture where it says, look, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we must be very careful about who we mix with. Now, I want to be really, really clear. This is not a call to say, great, I don't have to interact with anyone in the world. That is not true. We are in the world. We're just not of the world if you're God's children. What the scriptures are telling here, what we see of the psalmist is that he says that there's a fellowship, there's a companionship for those that all who fear the Lord. We are to do this together. And then through that strength of being together, we can be the light in this world. In fact, Acts 2 church, every pastor is like, man, I want to be an Acts 2 church. Yeah, awesome. One of the biggest things about that church was that people from the outside looked in and went, I want to be a part of that. The way that they treat each other the way that they're interacting is just counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense in this world, and I want to be a part of that. That should be us. This should be how we operate in a day, on a day-to-day -day basis in our communities, whether it's gospel communities or as a big church, as a small C church tied to the other churches 
in this valley. We should be counterintuitive but desired by the world. They care for each other. That's something that I want to be a part of. This is, this is one of the biggest, in fact, this is kind of a pet thing I've been on, so forgive me. I think I'd be more hostile to this if the Lord didn't remind me that the Spirit is gentle and kind. <laughs> this whole lone ranger, take it at myself, I don't need anyone else, is a tool of the enemy to isolate us from each other. Let me just say this really clearly. If I hear one more person say, you just can't say this word to me because I might flip out. I'm sorry, forgive me right now. If you say, I don't want to be a burden, you are commanded biblically to be a burden. The Apostle Paul says, bear one another's burdens. And he doesn't go on to say, so that they'll just stop being a burden. No, he says, bear one another's burdens in a tense that is continual, meaning that we will continually have to bear one another's burdens. So stop believing the lie that you're a burden and that that's a bad thing. In fact, it seems through the 159 one another commands in the New Testament that we're actually supposed to be doing stuff together. It seems like we're actually supposed to be a burden to each other. So be a burden. In fact, the next time you want to ask for help, say, hey, I'm really excited to be a burden, but can you help me with my food this week? Or can you help me with this? We believe the lie that we are not supposed to be a burden to anyone. How many times have you been a burden and God has shown up through someone, and you've been incredibly blessed. How many times have you been able to be the person that is the burden bearer, and you've been incredibly blessed? So why would we rob each other from that? Trust someone. They can say no. Hey, I really, really want you to come do my laundry for a month. They can say no to that, okay? But if it's going to be something that's going to help bear your burden, then don't be afraid to ask. Psalmist says, I... I I am a companion. I am together. I am knit together with all of those who fear you, God. This walking at it alone, pretending we got it by ourselves, is just a complete lie. And honestly, I'm, I'm going to push a little bit harder. It's, 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 again, it's pride. You believe you can do it on your own. In fact, you may be able to do it on your own. I hope not. Because the more we do it on our own, the more self-reliant we get as opposed to God-reliant. And maybe there's something you're really, really good at. You're like, Brent, I'm just really good at this. Then awesome. Use that as a discipleship tool to teach someone else. Have someone come do it with you so that you can teach them the same thing. Do you think that really the reason you're good at it is for your own good? No, God has given you every talent and strength to be used for his kingdom purposes. So stop believing the lie that it's just for you. And stop believing the lie that you're okay on your own because you're not. I don't care how introverted you are. Community, just in case you're wondering, isn't just your spouse either. Your poor, poor spouse, if you believe that, okay? <laughs> you may be able to do a lot together, but you need others. And you need to let yourself be helped by others. And it's, it's funny, Jesus tells us that the meek inherit the kingdom of God. Meekness isn't being weak. Meekness is like a wild stallion being trained. Having the power to do something and submitting it to someone else, that is meekness. It's beautiful. God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. The psalmist says, for me to be obedient, I recognize that there's a part of it that has to happen in walking with other people. Why? Because other people will look at you and go, hey, Bren, that's just dumb. Don't do it that way. You need the eyes of other believers to come to you, to speak to you, to show you, to point you back to the Lord. If we're going to obey the Lord, we have got to be willing to do it together. And then the last thing that 
he says, and I saved this for last, was in verse 58. He actually said it earlier on. He says, I entreat your, your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. It makes the most important point in the middle of this psalm that he's talking about obedience. And as we look at obedience of here's our motivation and here's how we evaluate our heart and here's, here's the fellowship or the, the continuation or community of other people and, and here's, here's what the trials will look like. In the middle of all that, he pauses and says, wait, wait, hey, just, just in case you forgot, just in case you forgot, your obedience does not gain you grace. Your obedience does not hold you back from his grace necessarily. Your obedience is not what's going to give you a right standing for him. He says, as important as the obedience is, is, when it comes down to it, he knows he is not saved by obedience, but he calls on God's grace of God to save him. Be gracious to me according to your word. God, I need your grace. For so many of us in here right now, we've, we've, We've been walking in disobedience, whether it's, whether it's a blatant disobedience in addiction or it's just a disobedience that God has called us to do something and we're just not doing it. Whatever, whatever it is, we can, we can rest in, in one thing, is that his grace is still sufficient for us. Yours and, and, and my disobedience is not outside of his reach. We can have very well-meaning good ideas that can still be very disobedient to God. But ultimately, his grace is what we, we call on to save us. We don't call on our obedience to save us. I don't say, God, just make me more obedient so I can be saved. No, I'm saved through his grace. I seek obedience through that. The, the second stanza, we see specifically the last eight verses in 113 through 120. We see this, this overwhelming theme that comes from protection or being saved by God. And we also see, ultimately, that those that are under judgment from God. We see that there are, there, are, there are those that are not obedient to God. And so there's this polarizing, polarizing thing where, if, again, if our motivation was just to not be, you know, not to not be not saved, then that's what we would go to. But our motivation isn't that. Our motivation is that God is our treasure. And now we see a polarizing opposite in this second strophe where there are those that will be judged accordingly because of their disobedience. But those of us that are God's, we can rest in his protection and his safety. He is our hiding place. Have you ever played hide-and-seek with a kid? You play hide-and-seek with a three-year-old. It's pretty funny. Like, they stand in the middle of the room and go like this. It's like, where are they? And then they start giggling. You know, and they're standing in wide open. When we hide with the Lord, we are wide open in that we are fully known. And even though he knows every single thing about us, he says, you are mine, and I'm protecting you. And under his protection, guys, there is nothing we can't take. There is nothing, there is no trial too big that will pull us away from his love. I wrote it in my notes this way. I said, we aren't protected because we are obedient. We are protected because we're his. But because we are his, we desire to be obedient. See, it's not, again, if, if we love him, we're going to obey him. And yeah, we'll, we'll mess up. We'll, we'll struggle with that. We'll fall short on that. But if you're a child of God, if you're his, you don't just carry around this disobedience as if it's like just the way that life's supposed to be. This is just my sin that I will carry on forever. No, you, you, you violently reject that. This is not who I am. This is not who God made me. This is not what I've been saved to. This is the old self. I'm the new creation. I'm the new self. I'm clothed in righteousness. Not mine, but his. So we obey because we love. And we love because he first loved. And because he first loved, we now have the ability to obey with the right motivation, which is he is 
our inheritance. He is my treasure. He is your treasure. Listen, I want so badly, I want so badly for, for obedience for all of us in here. I want obedience in our thoughts and our choices and our actions and every single day, but I want it for the motivation that God is your portion, that God is everything for you. He is your strength. He is your joy. He's your salvation. He's your hope. He is everything. If he's, if he's not everything, if he's not your treasure, and you keep white-knuckling obedience, I can tell you right now you're going to tire out. Self-control is an exhaustible resource, guys. So as the band comes up, we're going we're gonna to worship, we're going to sing. I want to I challenge you on a couple different things. Is one, right now, I want to challenge you that maybe some of you right now, you need to posture yourself in repentance. You need, to, you need to actually confess. You need to evaluate your heart. You need God to think on your ways, and then you need to turn your feet. I would encourage you to do that with someone in the room. Have the, have the boldness and the courage to do that. To, to just go over to someone and say, I, I, need, I need you to pray for me because I need to be freed from this right now. Maybe, maybe you're someone in the room and you're like, I want to pray for someone. Then I would give you the, plead with you, courageously do so if that's what God's calling you to do. Maybe you just need to sit and be silent. Maybe you need to get off your chair and get down on your hands and knees before the Lord because you recognize that you've, you've allowed something else to be your treasure. You've allowed something to slip in and be more important than him. Maybe you need to stand up and sing as loud as you can and not worry about your pitch or tone for once and who's next to you. But whatever it is, whatever it is, do not delay in your obedience. If God is calling you to do that right now, then do it obediently. Don't delay. I'm telling you right now, there is nothing better than looking like a fool for God. I would rather look like a fool for God every day of the week than look good to people and be apart from him. Stop delaying. Stop running from him. Allow your obedience to be immediate. And so whether it's praying for someone else on your hands and knees, whether it's just sitting in silence, whether it's screaming at the top of your lungs, whatever it is, whatever God's calling you to, do not delay. If you're like, man, I feel like he's calling me this, but I don't know, ask someone next to you, hey, does this make sense? He told me to sing out loud and I have a terrible voice. Does this make sense? Ask someone next to you. Don't go at it alone. Don't believe the lie that you don't have need of anyone because I can tell you right now, you can't compartmentalize that. And if you don't believe that you need anyone, sooner or later, that's going to fall on God and you're not going to need him. I pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a healthy motivation for obedience, God. God, thank you for giving us the ability to worship you, uh, not just in our voices, not just in um, our finances, not just in um, church, but through our lives. Father, for those in the, in the room right now that have, have wrestled with obedience as as a whole. They know of you. They, they like the idea of you, but they have not submitted to you as Lord. God, I pray that you just wreak havoc on their hearts. Pray that you'd help them recognize that there's not enough things they can do good to pay off that debt. And Father, for those in here that have been following you for a long time that maybe have lost um, focus, maybe they've just forgotten how, how beautiful and how majestic and how powerful, how amazing, how incredible you are. There are not enough words to explain just how good you are, God. God, thank you for your grace for those of us that continue to mess up and struggle in disobedience. God, would you remind us as we struggle and mess up that that's not who we are? We are your children. Um, we've been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been adopted in, and that's who we are. We're, we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. But God, I pray as we move today, as we step out today, that we would no longer delay in our obedience, God, that we would no longer obey with the wrong motivation, that we'd no longer 
We would no longer ignore the disobedient areas in our life, God, but instead would let you, through other believers, through, through your word, just sharpen and strengthen and grow us, God, so that people in this world would be baffled by how we could live with so much peace and hope in a world that seems to have neither. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.